Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. This is the first message in the verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians. This is the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. When reading through this, I can't help but notice that Paul says a lot in a short amount of space, in a short amount of time. By saying a lot, it tells me that he expected the people who were reading this were relatively mature in the faith, that he wouldn't have to spend a lot of time talking about the individual details behind the things that he has to say, that this would be a reminder of many things that he told them previously that this would be a way of reviewing things that were important, and also maybe helping them to identify topics that they may not be familiar with that could spark some conversation between the people who would be there in the community, spark some conversation so that people could be encouraged to continue to grow in the faith and learn more about the things that Paul was wanting them to understand. So even though this letter can be considered to be somewhat short, maybe medium in size compared to the other ones, it will take a lot of teaching in order to go through this letter just because there is a lot of content that is packed inside the things that Paul had to say. And while it's my opinion that he wrote this mainly for people who were already relatively mature in the faith, I am going to teach through this as if the listeners to these messages are not necessarily very mature in the faith, and that these are subjects that could very well be somewhat new to them. There's also the obstacle of a lot of teaching that has already been presented that I don't think is correct. There's a lot of teaching in the history of the church concerning what Paul had to say in this letter that I think needs to be addressed, that there are biases concerning the phrases and the words that he chose to use that have been used in order to support doctrines that I just don't think are valid. So I will also be spending some extra time talking about these doctrines that I do believe need to be addressed. And the main reason why I believe they do need to be addressed is because I have found that these preconceived ideas that people have get in the way of what I believe Paul was really trying to say, what he was intending to communicate. And so I will be trying to address those things as best I can in order to clear them out of the way so that you can consider that there is an alternative point of view in many cases. And I believe that these alternative point of views are true and correct and valid. That's why I'm presenting them in the way that I will be presenting them. And I have found over the years that these things are important because if you are going to grow and mature in your relationship with God, you need to know the God who really is, not a God who you may want but does not exist, or a God that other people have spoken of, that other people have wanted to believe in, who has never existed. And this is important because when people do not have a relationship with their God on the basis 
of truth, then they don't have a relationship. What they will have is a great sense of emptiness and yet perhaps a sense of hope that maybe someday things will just come together and they will know the Lord and yet that day may never arrive because they have to let go of some things that they believe that simply are not true, that are in the way. And the book of Ephesians does have a lot of phrases, a lot of verses that are open-ended enough that people have been able to present doctrines and teachings about the Lord that I don't think are valid. So I will be spending a lot of time in this study going through a number of these things. But if I don't address something, you can contact me through the ministry and perhaps I might be able to give some additional clarification on some things that I simply was not able to put into this study. Now, Ephesus was very important during this time in history. It was located in what we would consider to be modern Turkey, and this was a community that had access to ports where boats would commonly dock. This was the center of trade, and there was a river that was used in order to transport goods as well. Being the center of trade in this region, there, of course, were a lot of people who would come and go from this region to where they lived and to other parts of the world where they would engage in trade, which is necessary for civilization. Ephesus was at many times the second largest city in the Roman Empire. It would often compete for the position of the second largest. But regardless of where it was placed in that category, there were a lot of people here. And with there being a lot of people, there would be a lot of people who would believe in the gospel just because of the size of the population. And because of the number of people, because there would be a lot of people, there would be a presence of those who believed in the way, those who believed in Jesus as the Messiah, those who lived by the new covenant. With many of the communities that Paul visited, there were not a lot of people in those communities. If you were to consider of the people who you know during this day and age, you could probably find out of a hundred people, maybe one or two, who have a sincere desire to know their God and know him well enough that you would say that these people are saved. Maybe one or two out of a hundred, maybe four or five, depending upon the area, of course. And when you think about it sometimes, especially in small towns and in small communities, you can feel a little depressed about the fact that there are not as many people who believe in Jesus as you do, as there are people who may believe in Jesus but have a distorted view of what the gospel is, of what the new covenant is. But I want you to understand that this is normal, that this has always been the case throughout history throughout the generations since the new covenant went into effect there will always be a small number of people but when you consider Ephesus during this time in history when there were a few hundred thousand people in this community if you've got one out of a hundred or two out of a hundred who believe in the true and living God you can find a reasonable sized congregation of believers And because of the numbers, because of the quantity of people, they would be somewhat significant to the rest of the population because the rest of the population would know them as an identifiable group of people. And, of course, people like to talk about other people. 
And so there is an opportunity for conversation about Jesus and about the way. There will be many more opportunities, especially when there are miracles that are performed through the Apostle Paul and probably others that would give more people things to think about and talk about and gossip about. Either way, because of the number of people who would be present there, there would be enough that the rest of the people would take notice and consider them to be a topic of conversation, and that the beliefs that they were promoting would disseminate, would be recognized, would be partially understood, would at least in that way be an invitation to everyone who would know about these people of the way. And with this being a major center of commerce, people would come in for a short period of time, They would learn about the ministry of Jesus. They would learn about the gospel and they would take it home with them. They would bring it back to wherever they came from and they would tell the people there about, hey, you know, there are these people who say this, who believe this. And, oh, you know, there were a few miracles and maybe this person was in town when one of them happened. And people would be interested in this subject and they would seek out more information or at least maybe one out of a hundred, or two out of a hundred. But this is good. It's better for some than for none. This is good. And in this way, the message of the gospel was spread throughout the world. Now, from what I can tell, looking at the history that is described in the book of Acts, Paul taught in Ephesus after he spent some time ministering in the smaller areas, in the smaller regions the less populated. He was somewhat experienced in teaching the scriptures. He was somewhat experienced in dealing with people. He had matured in the faith in that sense. He will have grown himself. He didn't just start out as a mature believer who knew all of this stuff right away. As soon as he was struck with blindness and then he got his sight back, now all of a sudden he is this great master of the entire gospel and all that there is to believe about God. There is no way that that could possibly be true. He was growing. He was maturing. And so by the time he got to Ephesus, he was experienced. He had a lot of experience. He would have grown in the faith himself. He would have matured a little bit more. And so he would be more effective in teaching people in Ephesus later on in his ministry rather than earlier. And I think that this is important to recognize and understand. And I think it can be reflected by the way that he writes this letter to the Ephesians in comparison with the other letters that he wrote to other people in other regions. Now, from what I can tell, especially from Acts chapter 18 and 19, there were several significant moments in the life of the Apostle Paul there in Ephesus that would give him somewhat of a bond with the people there and would also be significant in his own life with regards to the experiences that he had personally. If you consider, for example, Acts chapter 18, when Paul was in Ephesus the first time. He was only there for a short period of time because he was on his way to Jerusalem. He had taken a vow and he wanted to fulfill it there in Jerusalem according to the law, which is perfectly fine. He's free to do that. He did speak with the people in the synagogue there in Ephesus and they wanted him to continue to speak with him a little bit longer, but he decided not to stay and he left. 
He did come back later on, and when he did come back, he was able, apparently, to speak with the people in the synagogue a little bit longer. But then, as soon as they decided, they made their decision that they were not going to accept Jesus as the Messiah. Then we can see in Acts chapter 19 that he went and he taught in another school, in the school of Tyrannus. And he taught there every day for two years. This is found in Acts chapter 19, verse 9. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Acts chapter 19, verse 10 says, And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. This would be Jews and Gentiles, everybody. Everybody would have had access, would have had some exposure to the truth of the Lord Jesus enough that they could make a decision. Is this something that they wanted to pursue and understand? Or is this something that they do not want to pursue to understand? And just like we experience in the generations today, there will always be few people, very few people, who will pursue that. But even though there will be few people, this is good because, again, it is better for some than for none. So this is very significant, and I believe that this was an important time in the life of the Apostle Paul, a very important time for him, because he was able to teach in this school every day for two years. And you know, after about two years of teaching, you can contribute to the faith of a lot of people. And through there, the entire known world that was recognized as Asia, from the point of view of Luke, they all heard. Because of what Paul was doing at Ephesus, this was very significant in his life. Just before that, in Acts chapter 19, we have the experience of him encountering some believers in Jesus, who had heard about Jesus, but only to the extent of what John the Baptist was presenting. John the Baptist was presenting a return to the Mosaic Law. That was his ministry. It was to return people to living a life under the Mosaic Law, to live a life of repentance and obedience in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. And we know that before that, there was a guy named Apollos who was going around telling people about the coming of the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. And he was mainly proclaiming the message of John the Baptist, that a person is to be baptized, which means that they are to convert to Judaism and live a life in devotion to the Mosaic Law. It is a rededication, in a sense, We would understand that phrase today, rededication of our lives to Jesus. That's what the ministry of John the Baptist was about, to rededicate people's lives, Jews, rededicate the life of a Jew through baptism, which was the means by which a Gentile was converted to Judaism. But when John was baptizing, he was baptizing Jews, which was a way of saying that even the Jew was just as unclean as the Gentile. They needed to repent and they needed to embrace the Mosaic law in preparation for the Messiah. And then, of course, Jesus was teaching the Mosaic law during his ministry. The discovery of the restoration of the Holy Spirit happened later. 
and the invocation of the new covenant happened later. So when Apollos was teaching here in Ephesus, and he was encouraging people to convert to the way, to convert to believing in Jesus as the Messiah, he obviously was very influential and he was very effective. But Priscilla and Aquila did have to take him aside and explain to him the way of God more accurately. Then Apollos left. Paul comes behind him, and what we see at the beginning of Acts chapter 19 is that Paul has to make the correction to the people who believed in Jesus through Apollos. He made the correction with regards to baptism and the giving of the Holy Spirit, so at that time they were saved. Acts chapter 19 verse 4 says, Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. Twelve guys. That's a lot of people. That was significant. Now, of course, I'm not able to talk about the subject of baptism or speaking in tongues in these messages because it will just take too much time. It would be too much of an interruption as I'm trying to make my way through the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. But I have done recordings that are available in the Living God Ministries radio archive on the subject of baptism and on the subject of tongues that I would like to encourage you to listen to so that you can have a better understanding of this subject. Some additional things that happened that I think were significant to the life of Paul and his relationship to the Ephesians were some of the miracles that took place when he was there. In Acts chapter 19, verse 12, it says, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. These were profound miracles. And word got around that these kinds of things were taking place. Some of the people who came through the area tried to embrace some of these beliefs in verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. That was definitely a significant moment for the Apostle Paul, especially because he would hear about it, that there was a demon who said, you know, I know Paul, I know this guy. This would be an opportunity for Paul to have a lot of new, interesting conversations with people, to be able to say, hey, listen, you know, there are some demons out there that obviously know who I am. Do you know who I am? Maybe you should know who I am. Obviously, I am a person to be known. I am of importance. 
So maybe you ought to sit here with me at the school of Tyrannus and listen to what I have to tell you about Jesus and the new covenant. So we know that there were a lot of significant things that happened in Paul's life when he was at Ephesus, and this definitely shows that he had many good relationships with people in this region, in this part of the world. And considering it was a center of trade, these people would also go out into other parts of the world, and the message of the gospel would be presented to everyone in the known world at this time, at least enough that people would know that this is something that they should take into consideration, that this is something that is important, and then, of course, people will decide if they are going to take a part of their lives in order to pursue this or not, just as it is today. It is very unusual to find anyone who has never heard of the existence of Jesus. He's everywhere. He is still a topic of conversation. What's difficult to find is someone who will take some time out of their lives to really pursue an understanding of who he is and what he really came to accomplish. And it will continue to be this way throughout the remaining generations that will continue to come into existence until the Lord decides to bring this world as it is to an end. And so this message is just an introduction to the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. I'll get into the content in the next message, where Paul starts out by declaring that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And just that first sentence says a whole lot. He is definitely making some assumptions about the people who would be reading this. To say the will of God, especially when you continue to read in the following verses, to say the will of God means in this context that he is talking about the inheritance that they have received because of the death of the Lord Jesus, because of the death of the Messiah. They have received an inheritance as a result of his death, and they are able to live with the inheritance they have received because they have been resurrected through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. In most cases, people will look at this phrase, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and just simply say that Paul is an apostle because it was the desire of God. And that's, of course, true. It is true that God wanted Paul to be an apostle of his. And so by the desire of God in the context of the will of God, he is an apostle. But what is more important to realize that will be shown in the following verses is that there is a will of God in the sense that it is the description of an inheritance. And that Paul is an apostle. He is one who has been sent out because he has received an inheritance in Christ Jesus, and he is going out living his life with the inheritance that he has received, and he is sharing with others what he has received from the living God. This is expressed at the beginning of verse 1 because of what he says following, and I will talk about this more in the next program.
You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.